Hey everybody, Pastor Chris here. Thanks for listening to our Market Street Podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope today's message helps you in your walk with Jesus. For more ways to connect, visit us at marketstreetchurch.org. How many of you have ever discovered something that you thought was true, but then you discovered it isn't true? I think all of us at some point in our lives, we had a belief or we believed something that, man, I, I thought that was how that worked or I thought, you know, and a well-meaning person told you something and maybe it was a parent or a grandparent and they shared with you some things and you and you just sort of like, oh, yeah, I, I guess that, that must be true. And so I, I don't know, I, I thought I would just maybe share with some things that either you heard and then you found out that weren't true or you are going to find out today that you've something that you've heard and you're going to find out today that it isn't true. It isn't true. One of the things is lightning doesn't strike twice in the same place. Maybe you've heard that lightning doesn't strike twice in the same place. Well, that isn't true. That isn't true. That lightning can strike twice and even more than that in a same place. There's actually a city in West Virginia, and they have a tower there in the city, and this tower was struck by lightning over 50 times since the, the, the tower's been there. So that isn't necessarily true, and lightning can strike twice in more, more than one place. Maybe you've heard this before. You know, on your tongue, there are different sections of your tongue that have, you know, the ability to taste the bitterness or sour or sweet or sweet and salty, that that actually isn't true either. That your tongue can taste all these different things, bitter and sweet and sweet and sour and salty. Your tongue has the ability to taste all of those things. Maybe you heard this before. Don't crack your knuckles. To stop cracking your knuckles. Maybe you were just being annoying and they just wanted you to stop. And so they told you, it's going to give you arthritis. Like if you crack your knuckles, you're going to have arthritis. And maybe some well-intended person told you that uh, just because they were just wanting you to stop doing it because it can be a little annoying. But the reality is that research has found that that's not actually what, that won't give you arthritis. That's not actually what will cause any kind of arthritis uh, in your hands. What it does is just simply popping bubbles in between your joints in your hands. That's all that sound is, that crackling sound is, is, is those bubbles being popped. Um, maybe you heard this before, uh, maybe growing up as a kid, don't swallow your gum. If you swallow your gum, it will stay in your system for seven years. Anybody ever hear that before? If you, if you swallow, it, it's gonna, it, it, it takes seven years for you to digest that gum. Not true, not true. Now, if you're a parent, and you, I know I'm ruining things for parents, right? You're like, don't tell my kids. I'm glad my kids are in another room because I, I, I want them to stop swallowing their gum because they could joke, you know, so, but it doesn't stay in your system for seven years. It digests just like any other food that you swallow, same amount of time. Maybe you heard this one before. Your brain only functions 10%. You only use 10% of your brain. Again, if you have a middle schooler, you probably think this is true. Like if you have a child in, in home, you're like, yep, that's about only about 10% is working uh, in their brain right now. Uh, but that's not actually true either. Um, it, it, your, your brain functions, your whole brain functions uh, at, at the capacity that, that it's supposed to. Um, so that's not actually true. Uh, maybe, you've, maybe you've seen this one before. Uh, no, we have to wait 30 minutes to swim after eating. You have to wait 30 minutes to swim. Maybe a parent said, we just ate lunch. You can't get into the pool. You have to wait 30 minutes. You may have like 
heard that you heard that from somebody and they heard that from somebody, but that's actually, there's no, nothing uh, significantly dangerous about going swimming after you eat uh, a meal, that, that you're, you're going to be okay. So uh, but whatever you tell your kids, you tell your kids, but I'm just letting you know of what things that are true and things that are not true. That's all I'm doing here. Now, uh, maybe if, if Sarah, there, somebody said this to you, you're as blind as a bat. You're as blind as a bat. Well, Actually, bats see, see just fine. You, bats see no problem. Um, they, they have great vision along with their sonar. Uh, they, have, they have the ability to see things in, in, in the night at dark very, very well. So uh, bats can, can see. So don't tell somebody you're as blind as a bat. Okay? Don't, don't tell somebody. Now, maybe uh, if you were a little younger, I don't know if you're, uh, you know, maybe, uh, you know, 20 or un, under that you may not be familiar with this picture. But Anybody recognize who this is? This is uh, Mikey. Yeah, Mikey. And uh, Mikey was uh, in, a, in a commercial. Uh, the kids now call them ads. Mikey was in an ad um, and, uh, for Life Cereal. And remember this, Mikey didn't like anything. Mikey wouldn't eat anything. But then they put a bowl of Life Cereal in front of Mikey. And Mikey ate it. And, and what, what did they say to Mikey? Mikey likes it. Mikey likes it, right? Mikey likes it. So, so years later, not, not long, but years later, um, there was a rumor that came out that Mikey, the, the, this, this kid right here, he died. He died. And, you know, we were like, what? You know, Mikey likes it. And I don't know how much he's liking it now that he's dead. You know, and, and, and so he, rumor came out that he died. And the rumor was, and maybe you remember this, the rumor was is that he ate a combination of Pop Rocks and a soda. Did anybody remember this rumor? If you, no, you don't remember? There was a rumor that came out in the 80s that Mikey, this kid right here, ate Pop Rocks and a soda, and, that, and his stomach exploded, and he died from it. That was the rumor. And Mikey, and, 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 and the same time, around the same time, um, whoever was making Pop Rocks at the time stopped selling Pop Rocks. They, they took Pop Rocks off the shelf, coincidentally, around the same time. So then it sort of just like, you know, magnified the rumor even more. Like, yeah, you see, you can't even find Pop Rocks anymore because they're so dangerous. If you have Pop Rocks and a Pepsi, you're not going to make it. You're not going to survive. So I don't know. Maybe we should try it. What do you think? Any volunteers? A teenager that only uses 10% of his brain. We're not going to try it, but you can have Pepsi and some Pop Rocks there, Hunter. There you go. Congratulations. So whatever happens, Hunter, it's, 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 it's your thing. I, I tried to work. Now, no. So, so Mikey, Mikey came out and said, I'm alive. <laughs> like the rumor like, came so, it was so strong and, and, and so, you know, uh, pr- uh, you know uh, pronounced that he's like, I'm, I'm fine. Like, I'm still alive. Uh, Pop Rocks and a Pepsi didn't kill me. I'm, I'm still alive. I'm still alive. And so, but the rumors just got out there, and people believe them. People believe them. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Maybe you didn't. You maybe you didn't fall for it, but some, some people did. So here's the thing. All of us, at some point or another, have been told something or heard something, and you just believed it. 
and you trusted what they said, and, and they were well-intentioned, and, and they said why they, what they said for, you know, for, for their own reasons, and, and, uh, and you just sort of accepted it. And then in turn, over, over time, you didn't really care to really look into it. It didn't really affect your life all that much. You just maybe just avoided Pop Rocks and a Pepsi, and, but you just were able to carry about your life. Well, this is, all, this is what happened when it came to the resurrection of Jesus, now, when we think about a resurrection, we think, that just seems illogical. That just doesn't make sense. And the reason why we say that is because it doesn't. The reason why we say that is because when we think about somebody dying and then somebody coming back to life again, it just doesn't happen. And so because of that, and because you've heard other reasons, and, and I just want to share with you some other theories that, that people have used over the years to explain away a resurrection. Theories that explain away a resurrection. Why? Because, let's be real, resurrections just don't happen. They just don't happen. But I want to try to show you today, I want to try to show you today that even in one of the most plausible theories, that it proves a resurrection. Even in a theory that is most plausible to explain away a resurrection, that it actually in turn proves a resurrection. Because I don't do what I do, and, and if you're a Christian in the room, you don't do what you do because, you know, it, it, it just works out well for you and your experiences are great and following Jesus is easy and you know all the things that are involved with being a Christian you don't do what you do because of that you and I do what we do you and I follow Jesus because we put our faith in the assurance we put our faith in the evidence of a risen Jesus and if somebody can die and by the way if somebody can predict their death and predict their resurrection and actually do it, he's worth worshiping. He's worth living for. Now, a couple theories, a couple theories. Number one, another theory to sort of explain away the resurrection was what they, what they call, what is called the swoon theory, the swoon theory. The swoon theory was is that he didn't actually die. He didn't actually die. He, he went into a coma. He, he passed out. He, he was, you know, taken, arrested, you know, betrayed by a friend, and then he was, you know, scourged and flogged, beaten, spit upon, crown of thorns on his head, nails in his hands, nails in his feet, a spear driven through his side, and because of that, because of that experience, it caused him to pass out. And then, once they thought he was dead, so he's on the cross, they think he's dead, they, they believe that he was dead, and they take him off the cross, they put him into a tomb, and then while he's in the tomb, he resuscitates. He, he didn't die and resurrect, that he just passed out and he resuscitated. That there was something about the spices that they put on his body. There was something about the cool air of the tomb that he was laying in. Laying in that he brought him back to, you know, not life, but they just brought him to. But here's the problem with that theory. The problem with that theory is this. Is that Rome was the one who executed Jesus by crucifixion. Roman soldiers were proficient at execution. 
Roman soldiers didn't make mistakes. If they made a mistake, they lost their life. Roman soldiers, they believed that Jesus was dead and so dead that they didn't even break his legs like they broke the legs of the criminals on either side of Jesus. They believed that he was so dead that they took him off that cross and they put him in that tomb and they let a couple guys prepare his body before Passover and they didn't make any mistakes whatsoever. That, that, so the question is, when it comes to this theory, how can one person move a two-ton stone, fight off 12 executioners, and then walk seven miles after that? Which is essentially what the theory is. He woke up in the tomb. He woke up. He's like, well, how did I get here? He moved the stone away, which was a two-ton stone with a seal around it. And then once he got out of the tomb, there was 12 Roman guards there, which we're going to look at in a second. There were 12 Roman guards there who were proficient at execution. There was no way that Jesus, after going through what he went through on the cross, was, would be able to fight off 12 executioners. And then after his feet getting torn apart by the nails, be able to walk seven miles. I can't even walk five miles without wanting to, you know, take a break a few times. This is, this is, so this is one theory, but it doesn't, it doesn't add up. It doesn't add up. One person, move a two-ton stone, fight off 12 Roman guards, and then later to walk seven miles? It doesn't work. He lost too much blood. He was too brutally beaten. And he was hanging on a cross for hours, suffocating. It doesn't work. Another theory was that he wasn't even buried at all. He wasn't buried at all. He wasn't taken to a tomb. That's why there was a tomb that was empty. It was because he was never taken there. So the burial theory is, is that his, he, his body was taken. He died. But his body was taken to a dump. And the dump was where they would take criminals. And they would dump the bodies of criminals. And they would put, place them there. But the question I have with this theory is this. Why would they, who's they, Roman leaders, or excuse me, uh, Jewish leaders and, and, and Roman government, why would they invent a story that, that would have merit with a presented body? Why would they invent a story that would have merit with a pre pre presented body? Because it was in the best interest of the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders, it was in the best interest of the Roman government to be able to present a body dead. Because everybody around the city is going, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive. And all they would have had to have done was go down to the dump and take the body of Jesus out of the dump that they dumped him in and presented a carcass and said, nope, he's still dead and here he is. But they couldn't present a body. And it would have been in their best interest to do that. But it never happened. Another theory to negate a resurrection was hallucinations, hallucinations. This theory is that they uh, said that his disciples, his, those that loved Jesus, they wanted him back so bad. They wanted to, to see him so bad and they missed him so much that they just envisioned seeing him. 
that they never actually saw him, but they were just in a state of emotional and psychological state to where they just, they just thought they, they, they saw him alive. But, but the reality is, is that how can that be the case? Because how can 500 plus people in Galilee have the same hallucinations at exactly the same time? Because according to the scripture, that Jesus appeared to over 500 people after his resurrection. That would require 500 plus people to have the same hallucinations. It just isn't plausible. And those are some of the better theories to explain away a resurrection. Maybe the most plausible theory, maybe the most plausible theory to explain away a resurrection is this one. Theft. Theft. And this is the one that the Jewish leaders, Jewish religious leaders, and the Roman government, this is the one that they ran with. This is the one that they said, we need to tell everybody that this is what happened. That the disciples came at night and they stole the body of Jesus so that they can tell everybody that he resurrected. So that they can show everybody that there was an empty tomb. But they just stole the body and they hid the body away. Now, the story goes like this. And Matthew records what happens to when they were trying to run with this story. Here's what it says, Matthew 27. Now, on the next day, the day after preparation... The chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together with Pilate, says in verse 63, and said, Sir, we remember that when he was still alive, that deceiver, who's the deceiver in, in, their, in their terms? Jesus. That deceiver said, after three days, I am to rise again. Now, this wasn't a secret thing that Jesus said. This wasn't something that he just kept to himself and he just told a few of his friends. Everybody knew that Jesus was declaring that he was gonna die and that on the third day, after three days, he was gonna rise again. Everybody knew that. Pilate knew that. The chief priests knew that, and the Pharisees knew that, and all the people that were in that time and around that area all knew what Jesus was proclaiming. I am going to die, but after three days, I am going to rise. So they come to the chief priests and the Pharisees, or the chief priests and the Pharisees go to Pilate, and here's what, here's what they say. Next verse. Therefore, give orders for the grave to be made secure. So just in case, because he's claiming, they're claiming a resurrection. So just in case, can we go make sure that the grave is secure until the third day? Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal him away and say to the people, he has risen from the dead and the last deception will be worse than the first. Now, what do they mean by that? The last deception would be worse than the first. Now, according to the Jewish leaders, here's what they meant by that. The last deception was this, or excuse me, the, the first deception was this, his claims. So when they're describing his first deception, they're describing what he would claim while he was on earth and while he was addressing people. Here's where some of his claims, okay? Here's where some of his claims. He would claim, Jesus, that he's the path to eternal life with a heavenly father. This would be a claim. 
So they, they viewed him as, as a deceiver. There's no way that you are the way to a father, a heavenly father in heaven. There's no way. And so they, they viewed him as a deceiver, but this was a, a claim that Jesus made. So either he was a deceiver or there was credibility and merit to what he was claiming. And what he was claiming was, hey, I'm the path to eternal life. He said it this way, I'm the way, and I'm the truth, and I'm the life. And no one can come to the Father unless it's through me. Jesus claimed that he was the one who is a way to heaven to be with a heavenly Father who loves you. This is what Jesus' claim was. Another claim that Jesus made was this, and they, call it, they called it a deception, but these were Jesus' claims, that he's the provision for every need and desire. Jesus would say, listen, listen, listen. All you need in this life is a relationship with me. All you need in this life is to know that I'm gonna take care of you, that I'm gonna provide for you that I'm gonna be everything that is missing or lacking in your life. That thing inside of you, that void that you have inside of you, that nothing seems to fill inside of your life, Jesus says, I'm the one that can fill that void. Nothing else in this life will fill that void. Not drugs, not alcohol, not relationships, not any kind of habit, not any kind of hobby, not any kind of activity, not any kind of sport, nothing in this world will ever fill the void of what Jesus can fill in your life. Jesus says, I'm the one that will provide for every need and desire you have. This was a claim. Another claim that he would claim was that he's the protector from a self-destructing life. So I don't know about you, but I know for me, not you, but me, boy, I get in the way all the time. I'm my own worst enemy. If anything goes wrong or bad in my life, you know what the problem is? The problem is not so-and-so or so-and-so or him or her or them. The problem is always me, <laughs> me. And so I'm so glad that there's a, a Jesus who says to me, hey, I'm gonna be a one that's gonna be a helper to you. I'm gonna protect you. I'm gonna guide you. I'm gonna guard you from danger. I'm gonna guard you from your own worst enemy, which is you. He's a protector. These were his claims. These were, these were audacious claims. The last thing that he claimed was that he's the producer of non-circumstantial virtues. He's the producer of non-circumstantial virtues. What does that mean? That means this. Jesus said, hey, I will give you and I will produce in you something that you can't produce on your own that I will produce in you. And, and in spite of this life and the circumstances of this life and the hardships of this life and the challenges of this life, he says, I'm gonna be for you and I'm gonna produce in you things that you couldn't produce. So in the times where it's hard to love, you're gonna still be able to love. In the times where it's hard to find peace and patience, I'm gonna give that to you. In times where it's hard to find joy, I'm gonna give you joy. And that joy is gonna be so full in you that people around you are gonna go, how is it in your circumstance that you still have joy? Only Jesus can do that in and through you. And Jesus is making these claims. And they're calling them deceptions 
But Jesus is saying, no, this is true. This is true about me. Well, the last deception then, what would he say? The last deception would be worse than the first is because the last deception would be a resurrection to solidify his claims. A resurrection to solidify his claims. It would, it would, it would be, they knew, they knew. If, he, if people believe that he resurrected, that he beat death, then everything that he said about himself must be true. If he truly did resurrect, if he truly did beat death and nobody else has ever been able to do that, then what he says that he's the way to the Father and what he says that he's a protector from yourself and what he says that he wants to produce things in your life that you couldn't produce on your own and, and what, he, what he says uh, how he can you know, give you a life that is fulfilling and satisfying and full of joy, then if he resurrected, then those things must be true. So back to Matthew Pilate said to them, you have a guard, go, make it as secure as you know how. So they went, next verse, and they went and made the grave secure. And along with the guard, they set a seal on the stone, which was just to, just to you know, firm up, to make sure that no theft happened. Nobody was able to break in, let alone move that two stone two-ton stone away and fight off 12 executioners and you know, all the things, but, but to put a seal around there to make it as secure as possible. So they did that. And then on Sunday morning, this is what happened. Here's what Matthew records. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. Verse Three, And his appearance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. Verse 4. The guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. Of course they did, right? That Sunday morning, I mean, here they are. They're just guarding the tomb. They're like, what is this about? Like, come on, a resurrection, really? This is, this is what we're, where we're supposed to be on, on this Sunday morning. And all of a sudden, an angel comes, or, or an earthquake happens, and they're just like, what is happening? What is happening? And then an angel comes down from heaven, and he, the angel comes, and he removes the stone away, and he's sitting on the stone, and, they, and, and it's like lightning. That's, what they're, that's the best way they could describe it. It was like lightning, and their clothes were like, white as snow and then and then they're just like they just they just went like dead men <laughs> they just like out of fear became paralyzed so that same time around that same time it says that they some women showed up to the tomb and women showed up to the tomb and the reason why women showed up to the tomb was because of this reason that Prior to, uh, they, before they put Jesus into the, into the tomb, men prepared the body of Jesus for burial. And so women were thinking, wait, men prepared the body for burial. We need to go and fix this. Right, ladies? So women come and they're like, oh, some guys did it. They prepared the body to put spices on them. Oh, it's going to be terrible. They're, they did an awful job. They don't know what they're doing. So, so the women show up. And when the women show up, a couple women show up, look what it says. It says, and behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. 
And they came up and took hold of his feet and they worshiped him. Of course they did. Of course they did. Because now they see physical, actual Jesus in person after he died on a cross after they placed him in a tomb and they showed up to the tomb and the stone was rolled away and they and all of a sudden they see Jesus and they worship him why because you worship the one who predicts his own death and burial and resurrection and pulls it off you worship him that's what you do now, while they were on there, so Jesus tells the women, women, uh, you guys are a lot braver than these, my, my, my disciples are. You need to go and tell them that I'm alive. And so he sends the women back to tell the men who are cowards and hiding in a house to let them know that he's alive. And so it says this, it says, now they, while they were on their way, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priests all that had happened. So the guards show up and they're going, they're going, you wouldn't believe it. Um, there was an earthquake. Did you feel it? And they're probably like, yeah, we felt it. There was an earthquake. And then there was an angel that came from heaven. And the angel that came from heaven was like lightning. And it moved the stone away. And, and, and then when it moved the stone away, we just passed out. We just passed out. We were like dead men. That's what happened to us. Now, you would think that they would hear that and go, well, maybe he is the Son of God. Well, maybe he is who he said. Maybe he is who he claims to be. <laughs> but that's not what they did. You know what they did? It says this, And when they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers. For what reason? What reason? What reason? And said, you are to say his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. How absurd is that? I mean, come on. These guys were like hiding and cowardly and doubtful. No one was at the tomb waiting for Jesus to come out of the tomb, even though he told them on a number of different occasions, after three days, I'm rising again. No one was at the tomb. Why? Because no one actually believed he would resurrect. And then he did. And so why, how reasonable is it to think that these cowardly men, disciples, would be able to sneak in at night while Roman guards, executioners, were asleep, move the two-ton stone away, break the seal of the, of the stone, and steal the body of Jesus, and to keep that as a secret? It doesn't add up. You see, the resolution that they came up with was a bribe instead of belief in what actually happened was a resurrection. And they, they, they lied about a truth that couldn't be denied. And so what happened to the soldiers? Well, Matthew tells us. And they took the money and did as they had been instructed. And this story was widely spread among the Jews and is to this day.
and is to this day. Now, Matthew is writing this gospel, and we're, and we're reading from the, from the gospel, from the account of Matthew of the, of the life of Jesus. And I just want to share with you why I also think that this is, this is absurd to think that the disciples were able to steal the body away. Because I want to just show you a timeline of what, of what happens with the, with the writings of the gospel, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. Okay, the resurrection happened in 33 AD, 33 AD. Matthew's gospel was written somewhere around 45 AD, about 12 years after the resurrection. Mark's gospel was written somewhere around 53 or 54 AD, about another 8, 10 years later after Matthew's gospel. Luke's gospel was written around 62 AD, and around the same time, Peter and Paul who were followers of Jesus, they, they died at somewhere around 65 A.D. So all the writings that we have in our New Testament scripture, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you know, Paul's writings, Peter's writings, um, you know, all, all, the, all the writings that we have in the New Testament, all of them were written somewhere around this period, except for one book that was written, John's writings were written somewhere around 90 A.D., 90 A.D. So within about a 60-year period, from the resurrection, this is what was happening, or this is what happened to those who were claiming a resurrection. Those who were saying, no, we saw him, we saw him. We saw him die, we've now seen him alive, and you should do what he says. That was their message. We saw him die, and we, we put him in the grave, and he resurrected, and you should do what he says. That was their message. But while they were preaching that message, while they were sharing that message, here's what they were experiencing over this period of time. They were experiencing being beaten, jailed, exiled, stoned, removed from the temple, treated as slaves, set on fire, fed to lions, hung, crucified, and betrayed, just to name a few. Now, it doesn't make any sense for anybody to claim something and get no benefits from it whatsoever. There is no reason whatsoever for them to keep up the lie of what they knew was true. See, either it's one of two things. Either they all died for a knowing lie of a robbery. So either they all died for a knowing and lying about robbing and stealing the body. And the thing is, the, the, the question is, well, how did Matthew know what happened? How did Matthew know what happened with the bribery story? Here's what, here's how we know this. Matthew knew about the bribery story because at some point or another, those Roman guards couldn't lie anymore. At some point or another, they, they couldn't deny what they actually saw happen. They saw earthquake they saw an angel they saw the angel move the stone they saw you know uh you know jesus resurrected they couldn't deny what they saw and so eventually the roman soldiers said listen no amount of money can get me to keep this secret anymore because i can't deny what i saw and they told matthew and matthew wrote down exactly what happen between the soldiers and the chief priests and the Pharisees and Pilate because they just couldn't keep up with the lie of a robbery because it didn't happen. But instead, they all died for knowing the truth of a resurrection. 
They all experienced what they experienced because they couldn't deny what they knew to be true. And they were willing to be beaten and jailed and hung and beheaded and crucified and fed to lions and set on fire for what they already knew firsthand to be true. He died, he was buried, and he rose again, and they saw him. So you can believe the only plausible theory, the disciples came and stole the body. It's the only really plausible one. You can believe that. Or you can choose to believe that they saw something supernatural. And they saw Jesus do what he said he would do and be for them who he claimed to be for them and what he claims to be for you. And know the truth that on that Easter Sunday morning, he conquered the grave for you and for me. And if he resurrected, if he resurrected, he's the path to eternal life with the Heavenly Father. If he resurrected, he's the provision for every need and desire that you have. And if he resurrected, he's the protector from a self-destructing life. And if he's the resurrection, he's the producer of non-circumstantial virtues in your life. All you have to do is take the evidence that is the most reasonable and put your faith in him. And he'll be that for you. He'll be that for you. Let's pray. Father, uh, we thank you for the, that our faith is not founded on feeling or experience or a bunch of to-dos or don't-dos. That our faith is founded on having a relationship with you by putting our faith in and our belief in the evidence presented, the facts presented of something supernatural that happened, namely a resurrection. And I know for so oftentimes we just hear things and we just believe things, but I just pray, Lord, that this is so important for us to investigate in ourselves, that we look into ourselves and for ourselves and discover how important this is to know and to put our faith in. Because what hangs in the balance of not, Lord, is... So I just pray, God, that each person here, I pray, Lord, that they at least begin a journey of wanting to know what's true and wanting to know that what you claim is true for every single one of us and for them personally. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.